And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, if you go to the average bookstore, and I realize you have to hunt them down these days, but trust me, they still exist. If you go to the church growth section or religious section, depending upon how your bookstore is organized, you'll find shelves there loaded with books on church growth. How to do it big, bold, brilliant, wide, and rapidly. But what if the idea of a section of books that took the opposite tenor, that instead of doing it big, bold, brilliant, wide, and rapidly, instead taught you how to do it slow, thoughtful, deep, and deliberate. You'd probably think the books were 90 to 100 years old, wouldn't you? I mean, after all, don't we live in a day and an age when everything that we do fast equates better? I mean, let, let's face it, we, we just, everything we do, the more that we can do, the more rapidly we can do it, that must be good. So if it applies to information technology, food, cars, the Internet, why not faith? Why not indeed? My guest tonight, I think, would argue that um, fast is not always better. In fact, there's much in terms of the history of the church that would demonstrate just the opposite, that the approach of being slow, thoughtful, deep, and deliberate also means a church that will be sustainable and a body of believers that will be deep in their faith, in their relationship with Christ. Christopher Smith is the editor of the Inglewood Review of Books and member of the Inglewood uh, Christian Church community outside of uh, Indianapolis, co-author of a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. And uh, Chris, great to have you on the program. Thanks, Greg. It's good to be with you. I'm, I'm trying to think the, the pitch to your publisher on this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, there's got to have been either a stack of rejections or a few people that thought, clearly this guy has either lost his mind or um, uh, <laughs> needs to have a serious talk with, with somebody, um, some church growth expert, because we know in 2014, fast is just the only way to do it. Right. Yep. Um, actually, we were pretty fortunate. We found an editor that uh, like the idea um, from the very outset, and he basically coached us through the the whole the whole process. So uh, we were very fortunate to find find an editor who thinks outside the box. That thinking outside of the box, as much as it might seem to be uh, in terms of the way most of people that are involved in the church growth movement or have a heartbeat for all of this, is in fact not all that outside of the box, is it? In fact, I think oh, there's right. a, lot of, a lot of evidence to demonstrate historically that for the bulk of the history of the church, uh, that thoughtful, slow, deep, deliberate approach is exactly what uh, got the church from uh, the time of Christ to where we're at today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a long history of... of um, of patient persistence uh, in the Christian community. Uh, but it, it tends to be, like you said, kind of more underground, <laughs> uh, not the mainstream of church history. This movement that we've seen um, that, that seems as if, um, I don't know, it's, it's like franchising the kingdom of God like it were a McDonald's, you know. Sure, absolutely. Let's, let's put them up as quickly as we possibly can. I mean, nobody, and I'm not picking on McDonald's, but, but any fast food restaurant, no serious, thoughtful person who really is a foodie thinks of these locations as a spot for fine dining. We're going to um, walk away with a culinary experience. Uh, we, we know what they are for what they are. You want it fast, quick. Uh, that's what you do, that you know that um, it's not going to be the kind of experience um, um, colonistically that you'll be thinking out above or, or sharing with others for years to come. It's seemingly just the opposite of what we want out of church, that we do want it to be something that is going to be deep 
and meaningful and hopefully profound and sustaining. Uh, and yet I'm, I'm wondering wherein lies then this, this creep toward doing it fast, equating better within the church. Well, I think it's coming from the larger culture. Uh, we've, one of the things that we do in the book is kind of look at the history, look briefly at the history of industrialization uh, and kind of the technological growth over the last 200 years, um, basically during the industrial and now the post-industrial age. Um, and basically, one of the, the side effects of that sort of rise of industry, and there's been, I mean, there's been some great things that have come out of that industry. I mean, many people were uh, saved from really, really uh, hard, back-breaking work uh, through uh, the rise of industry. Uh, but, but one of the things that has happened is that has kind of continued to grow and grow and expand uh, globally is that there's kind of been an expectation for for speed and for convenience uh, that has kind of crept into all of life, um, it, as you mentioned, into the food we eat and how we eat it, and, and also, uh, we argue in the book, into the way that we exist as churches. Um, and, and yeah, and we, uh, I think it's mostly just kind of been uh, a lack of critical, critical thinking and acting um, in the ways that we engage the larger culture uh, that has kind of uh, and, it, and again, it's kind of slowly infiltrated our churches. Uh, as you said in your introduction, uh, the church growth movement played a big part in that. And certainly there was, I mean, there was a good intent uh, in the church growth movement uh, of trying to, to grow ch- churches to spread the gospel of Christ and bring more people into, into our churches. Those are wonderful and noble, noble goals. But, but because of the culture of uh, industrialization, the culture of speed and efficiency, um, the, that, that movement uh, became focused more on the numbers than on the depth. Um, and and that's, that's the point at which it started to kind of turn and uh, move in a direction that's not, not particularly helpful, we think. Well, and, and uh, you know, not, not, not healthy, too, in a spiritual standpoint or in a lot of ways. I mean, let's face it, at the core, um, all of this dialogue, whether we talk about outreach, evangelism, church growth, um, discipleship, all comes down to one core issue, and that is the business of relationships. Oh, uh, whether we're talking about building relationships interpersonally between uh, family members and husbands and wives and kids and so on and so forth, building relationships with strangers to love them to Christ, ultimately toward the, the, the penultimate goal of a restored relationship with the Creator Himself, which is, of course, what He sent His Son to do, that substitutionary work on the cross on our behalf, so that we might be reconciled into a restored relationship with Him. And yet, we look at the world around us, and if anything, it seems to be marked by the notion that lasting relationships are a thing of the past because we move so fast and right. and indeliberately and 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 without a lot of of thought or care and as much as that has been the hallmark of of changing the way relationships are then i get got to be a little bit scary thinking well my goodness if doing it rapid and and uh, um, big and bold has had an impact in so many ways on sustainability of relationships, what does it say about the sustainability, so to speak, of our relationship with the very God himself? No, no doubt. And that's, uh, Craig, you've kind of hit on the reason that we actually chose the, the name Slow Church and not just uh, Slow Christianity or Slow Faith. Um, but, but we very intentionally chose the, the, 
the language of slow church because what we believe, like you, for the reasons that you just stated, that uh, what God has been doing in the world and God continues to do in the world is is largely centered around the gathering of a people, and this is something that began in Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even Jesus, uh, when he started his ministry, uh, came of age and started his ministry, one of the first things that he did was to gather a community of disciples around him. And we believe that it's in community, in our churches, uh, that we that we can start to recover what it means to be in meaningful relationships, um, if, if we're willing to slow down and be attentive to to what we've been called to be. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm, I think you're absolutely right that that relationship is at the heart of what what God is doing in the world and what, what the, the heart of what we're called into as followers of Jesus. So there's a little literal troubling aspect to this, that this rapid results approach that we take today, and it's everywhere, it's pervasive everywhere within culture and, and business and society, and of course it's crept into church, that it seems to be this focus on rapid results at the expense of long-term sustainability. And there's a number of layers in which this becomes very troubling, not only in terms of sustainability, for example, of a new church plant. How many churches come and go and come and go and come and go? And is that really the way God wants us to, to do community if at the core the church is really about the neighborhood or the community? And then the other question is, if there is such a profound impact on the sustainability of church, how can we not help but wonder whether or not that might have an impact on the sustainability of our relationship with God. Oh, not that he would flutter or fail, but that we, from our perspective, might be just inclined to give up at a moment's notice. I mean, let's face it, largely in the westernized church, we're we're not really accustomed to pain or sacrifice or um, agony. In fact, we work very hard to avoid all of that which is curious because the Bible says much about suffering for our faith and persecution for his namesake. A lot more to talk about. Christopher Smith is with us today. He's co-authored Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. We'll take a brief time out. In fact, let's not take it brief. We'll make it slow. (laughs) We've got traffic. Maybe you've got that slow experience in your life already today. Take a deep breath. And we'll return to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking today with author Chris Smith. He has co-authored with John Pattison a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. And uh, this reaches into so many aspects of our faith of the sustainability of same, not just our faith, but also local congregations, um, the body of Christ. And, you know, I guess in a day and an age, as we've been suggesting, Chris, where we have seen the emphasizing of um, uh, quantity over quality, this has really been uh, almost disastrous at certain levels to every aspect of, of faith within Western Christianity, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, this is really, really broadly reaching. And I mean, and honestly, it's part of the reason that I mean, one of the things that we kind of have experienced ourselves and have seen elsewhere um, is simply that uh, we tend to compartmentalize our faith. Uh, that our faith has become more and more uh, not pertinent to the rest of our life. What we do on Sunday is kind of separate—a separate thing from what goes on 
uh, in our in our home or in, at our office place, um, whatever that may be. Um, and and we, we don't think that that's what uh, we have been called into. I mean, we think that God is reconciling all things in Christ, uh, and that that the wisdom of the gospel is is pertinent um, to our to our family life, to our work life. And then part of the problem is that we've kind of uh, kind of fragmented home from work, from church, from uh, from maybe other social activities or whatever. But um, and and those spheres of our lives don't uh, interact with each other very much. Um, and I mean, part of what we're encouraging as we slow down is to to allow God to to heal some of those uh, fragmentations and find ways for for our lives not to be uh, quite so fractured. And that fracture, that fragmentation, seems to be clearly an outgrowth of the emphasis on quantity over quality. I mean, let's face it, if we're left with a choice of either going deeper or going quicker, um, culture today has sort of um, programmed us. We have been uh, uh, almost like Pavlov's dog, trained to respond to the quicker, not realizing how much we're missing in the going deeper. I mean, is it any wonder that we compartmentalize then and we relegate God to a brief hour-long experience on Sunday mornings and maybe for, uh, you know, a half hour or so uh, Wednesdays, if if he's that fortunate, because we don't see the value in the integration of our relationship with the Lord in every aspect of our life, in every day of our life, because let's face it, we've never perhaps ever seen the what that means to, to be modeled in front of us. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, I mean, part of the, part of the reason for that, again, is the, the advertising culture uh, that we're in the midst of that, that always uh, encourages, encourages us to seek more, more, more. We need, we need a new car. We need a new house. We need uh, a vacation, uh, whatever, whatever uh, the advertisers are selling. Um, but but, but the, kind of the collective effect of that is always encouraging us to to desire more, more, more. And what we need, I think, is is a transformation of our desires, um, uh, a transformation to 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 not desire more, but to desire to 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 go deeper in the the relationships that that we already have. Well, and doesn't it become a vicious cycle, too? Because the more and more and more that takes us to a more shallower degree, it's sort of the the quick high, the quick fix um, in life at so many levels, becomes terribly unfulfilling, I would suspect, after a while. And so then you're you're motivated to go after more because at the end of the day, you're you're trying to to obtain something that that is not a product of the, the faster, the quicker, the more, but of the slow and the deliberate and the deep. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that we focus on in a chapter later in the book is the, the practice of gratitude, of being thankful. And I think that's that's one of the the ways that God has provided for us to kind of resist uh, this or to to um, to start to put us on a journey toward healing and, and being transformed out of this culture that always wants more and more and more to to learn to be grateful for for the things that uh, that God has provided for us uh, for the relationships that God has provided for us and and the the resources that God has provided us with uh, both as individuals and as congregations. Um, and and I think if we the the greater uh, the we learn to practice thankfulness gratitude, um, I think that we'll start to to see some see some transformation. 
It really comes down to the sense of being grateful, which causes you to pause and look at all that is around you. What's the old phrase about stopping to smell the roses? Oh, yeah. We're we're rushing down the street and along the way. Uh, we don't have time to capture the sights nor the fragrance because we're just too busy thinking about uh, what we're doing next, what we're doing tomorrow, what we're doing in 20 minutes. Um, I, I guess the big question is, since that sort of manic approach to life is so inbred in so many of us, I mean, I would wonder... Even as we're talking right now, and there are people that are listening to our conversation on the drive home who, even though they recognize the danger and the illegality of browsing text messages, are doing it as we speak because they just can't, simply can't wait to see what that text message might say. How, how do we get off of this? roller coaster ride to pause long enough to say we need to do some serious introspection here about our priorities and where we give time no absolutely absolutely yeah and i mean just i mean just that example that you gave of of checking text messages while you're driving i mean that's a that's a potential uh that has the potential of death for for you and and someone and others around you um and it's interesting that the Bible, I mean, kind of talks about uh, the connection between uh, the way of sin and death. And, and, and I think that that's, I mean, part of the consequences of, of living too fast um, is, I mean, is ultimately uh, death. Um, and, and maybe uh, it's not always going to happen. Hopefully it won't always happen, but, but there's always that potential there. Uh, when we're trying to do too much and not being attentive uh, to what's going on around us, particularly in a culture where we use, like ours today, where we use heavy machinery like cars and and so forth, and I mean, there's the risk. The risk is is significantly. Well, higher. there's also, I think, a degree of risk, as I use that as an example from a spiritual standpoint, because as you talk about in the book, slow church, this culture of unreflective speed also means that we might be inclined to just kind of at the surface buy into any whim, any uh, doctrine that comes our way because it sounds okay, or yeah, I've read a little bit of scripture, that seems to be in harmony, and so we don't take the time to research, we're, we're not fruit inspectors, we don't tr- test the spirits to see if they are of God, there, there are so many aspects of what we are warned to do in a slow, thoughtful, deliberate fashion from a spiritual growth standpoint, from a relation with Christ standpoint, that is it any wonder that we have not only just a sloppy religion, sloppy relationships, but then uh, so often so many within the church today are just pulled to and fro at any, pardon me, any whim of, of false teaching because it's a culture of unreflective speed. I mean, you go into a Christian bookstore, and that that sort of sloppiness is uh, is reflected. I, I I don't I'm not going to name any particular names, uh, but but that sort of kind of uh, I mean everything from prosperity gospel to uh, uh, self help sorts of stuff. I mean, it's all there, and it's all it's all really not that reflective. Um, it's just kind of a, a quick fix of what will make us feel good. If you've just tuned into our conversation, we're visiting today with Chris Smith, co-author of Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. We'll talk a bit about what this means, how we can slow down the pace, and what the benefits can be, not only in terms of our own 
um, family well-being and, and mental health, but ultimately for spiritual well-being and the well-being of our communities. We'll come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking about Slow Church today, not just the book, but the entire notion. This is the the polar opposite of this uh, fast approach that we've taken to rapid growth that certainly does a lot in terms of, of sort of the quick um, flash in the pan, uh, brilliant moment uh, of success. But then, of course, leaves many questions pertaining to the sustainability of not just one's faith, but frankly, of the community, of the body of believers. And as we're learning from our guest today, co-author Chris Smith, um, quite frankly, this, this rapid, fast, sort of the, uh, the franchise approach to Christianity doesn't do a lot in terms of um, spiritual depth of individuals, let alone the sustainability of the church, and maybe therein lies the problem, that we're learning that the, the rapid results today are, in fact, at the expense of long-term sustainability. Yes, definitely, Craig. I mean, we see that, like you were saying earlier, that church plants uh, tend to have a lifespan of maybe a couple years. And also, I think part of the issue, questions of sustainability, um, one of the questions that doesn't get looked at so much uh, is, is the ways in which uh, churches move uh, from one neighborhood uh, to another, um, and what the what the impact might be of that sort of tr- uh, transition uh, on the neighborhoods um, that are left. I mean, I live in an urban neighborhood in, here in Indianapolis, and we've kind of seen the effects, the sort of vacuum that's left uh, when a church uh, or any other institution of business, uh, but but especially in this case in churches, um, when they move out of a neighborhood, um, and uh, and it, it can be it can be uh, pretty powerful, and it's something that churches don't think about a lot about uh, what what has happened uh, in the places that they leave behind. Mm. So that loss of commitment to a neighborhood, and oftentimes there's a disaster left behind because then what might have been uh, the only beacon of hope in a particular community, and this certainly has been very true in a lot of inner cities, um, sure. it completely uh, collapses, doesn't it? Oh yes, yes, definitely. Definitely. It was, it's interesting. Our church, the church I'm part of, Anglo Christian Church here in, Indiana, in the near, urban near east side of Indianapolis, uh, we're 118 years old. Uh, but we've basically been in the same place uh, for, for all of that history. Um, and uh, at one point, uh, at kind of a low point in the size of our congregation, the history of our congregation, uh, we ha- were faced with the decision, do we stay in this neighborhood or do we move out uh, to the suburbs where a lot of our members are? And the leaders of the church decided at that point that it was very important for us to stay. And basically for the last 25 years or so since that decision, we've been on a journey of trying to to understand what it means for us to be a church in this place since we made a very intentional decision to stay here. A lot of times churches will move because they feel overwhelmed by many of the problems that are facing a neighborhood and, quite frankly, maybe feel ill-equipped to be able to ascertain what those problems are and to best address them. Uh, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of what we've seen in the recent passing of Robin Williams, who is, um, because of his connection to the San Francisco Bay Area, has been sure. quite a, an ongoing topic here of the last couple of weeks. Uh, some folks might have seen um, comments made uh, the other night by David Letterman, um, who um, knew Robin early on in his career. And uh, Mr. Williams had been a guest on the Letterman show apparently about 50 times down through uh, the the years. And at the end of his 
very emotional, moving tribute to him, uh, had made a remark about, well, if he'd only knew about how much pain Robin was in. And it dawns on me that we in the church maybe are guilty often of the same thing, that we are too busy and moving too fast to notice when others around us are hurting, the very ones that God would call upon us to bring healing to or hope to or his gospel to. And maybe, you know, what uh, what was remarked by David Letterman last night regarding Robin Williams is indicative of a place where a lot of us in the church are at today. We're just moving too fast to notice those around us that are really hurting. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I think you're, you're definitely hitting on something there, Craig. Um, that, I mean, one of the things that's been fascinating to us is that, I mean, you just look at, you talk, we talked about earlier, a little bit earlier about the franchising uh, aspect of it, and you look at a McDonald's or you look at a Starbucks or a Home Depot or whatever, and those, are, those sorts of institutions look pretty much the same whether you're in San Francisco or San Antonio or wherever else. Um, and I think that a lot of times uh, churches can be that way. They can look and feel pretty much the same wherever wherever they are. And, they, and churches have kind of become almost um, uh, unattentive to uh, to the places uh, where they exist. Um, and again, that's part of the, the sort of fragmentation. Uh, churches have come to see themselves as kind of part of spiritual life. Uh, not necessarily engaged in the life of the communities in which they exist, um, and I, I think that that's. I think it's in that sort of engagement with the communities where we exist, where the the wisdom of the gospel is, uh, and the the call to to be peacemakers and all those other sorts of things that that we're called to in Christ. Uh, those, that's where that witness is borne out uh, in in engagement with with our neighbors. Um, so I think you're absolutely right that, that we, there are many ways that we've become unaware of the, the pain and suffering around us. And, you know, even closer to home, I mean, again, that, that rush means that there's a risk of well-being to family and our own mental health, our own spiritual well-being, because we're not taking the time uh, to go deep enough because uh, we're just not programmed that way. Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. I mean, I think that I don't, don't want to overstep <laughs> Here, but but it's interesting to me that there's a correlation uh, between our continuing to move faster and faster and and the rise in uh, mental illness, for instance. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not saying necessarily that they're connected, but it's interesting that uh, that they seem to uh, follow very similar uh, curves. Um, is a lot of this also tied into not just a desire to do things faster and more instantaneous, but also uh, coupled with this indicative of a, a lack of maturity that is uh, m- maybe as a as a watchword, uh, tremendously impatient, and a culture where on an increasing basis we wish to avoid not only work but any pain. I mean, it used to be you know a, a good hard day's worth of labor mm-hmm. where you came home with tired muscles and and complete beat that was you had a sense of satisfaction and reward about that and today it's almost as if that has shunned and so if we're not willing to to exercise our physical muscles and experience a little bit of you know stretching pain in the experience um, I wonder if that's indicative of, of the same thing when it comes to not willing being willing to spirit to exercise our spiritual muscles that we're afraid of avoiding pain in any aspect of life oh yeah absolutely I, I think that that's one of the things that we talk about in the book that I mean, the way of Jesus, 
uh, is the the way of compassion. I mean, just the incarnation itself of Jesus coming to earth uh, was an act of compassion. Jesus entered into all the pain and suffering, and the joys, of course, too, but, but the pain and suffering of the human experience. And that's what we're called to do uh, with one another in our church congregations and with our neighbors. And I think that what we're seeing, I talked a little bit before about kind of the history of industrialization and how we've become more and more uh, impatient and have more greater and greater expectations for speed. But one of the other effects of it is, like you were saying, that it conditions us to to want to avoid work and suffering. We look at the rise of the in the mid 20th century, the rise of the quote unquote labor saving device, uh, and that's a one. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying that we should not use any sort of electrical gadget or whatever, uh, but but we do need to be aware of what what the cost of that is and what if we're saving labor, to what end are we saving labor? Um, and, and the effect of that, I believe, is exactly what you were describing, that we, it, we're, we are having greater and greater difficulty entering into the, the pains and sufferings of others because we've been conditioned to avoid pain and suffering at all costs. And, of course, the irony is that pain and suffering also translates into notions of persecution. Um, and, you know, somehow the notion that we as the church in America are uniquely um, given a pass on the idea of pain and suffering or persecution, when the Scripture, of course, doesn't say that at all. And um, there is a dynamic that speaks quite heavily to uh, that lack of being willing to to suffer for his name's sake, as Chris, Scripture calls us to, indicative, too, of this notion of kind of being the uh, the church that's what's the old saying 10 miles wide and an inch deep right no no absolutely absolutely i mean again i don't think that we should necessarily seek out persecution but i mean i think that there are ways that our desires for comfort uh uh kind of compromises our willingness to to speak the truth in in difficult situations uh whether that's in the public square or in our congregations um and i think that has that has uh, ramifications our conversation today with Chris Smith. He is co-author of a new book called Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus. If you are someone who is a uh, student of uh, everything that is fast and rapid and you wish to overemphasize a, a, a quality, quantity rather over quality, this is probably not a book for you. If, on the other hand, you're somebody who would rather not go quicker in your relationship with God but go deeper, then this indeed can be a book that can be a tremendous eye-opener not only for your own relationship with Christ but at the family level and at the community level. The book again, Slow Church, Cultivating Community in the Patient Way of Jesus, newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at bookstores around the Bay Area, not in the rapid church growth section, though, I might add, <laughs> and, of course, on Amazon.com. And our thanks to co-author Chris Smith for being with us on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We are reminded that prayer is the key and faith unlocks the door from that wonderful hymn of the 1970s, wasn't it? Um, trying to think who sang that. I can picture him right now. Roger, it'll come to me. It's a sign of old age. Roger something or other. Prayer is the key to heaven. Sometimes you get a little overwhelmed, though. Especially if you have a reputation for being a bit of a prayer warrior and you enjoy communing with God. And yet, boy, how do you do it? And I don't mean how do you pray. What I mean is how can you have a sense? When you say to somebody, for example, I'll be praying for you, are you good on the follow through? 
are you able to keep track of the execution on that? I know I, I have to make a list. If I don't make a list, inevitably, and I try to do it strictly from top of mind, uh, you run into somebody and they say, gee, uh, my son-in-law is dealing with cancer. Oh, I'll be sure and pray. I'll add them to my prayer list. And then a day or two goes by and you forget about it. And then six weeks later, you run into them somewhere at the grocery store and they say, gee, my son-in-law is doing much better. Thank you for praying. And you go, oh, my goodness, I had completely forgotten. Sometimes it can be overwhelming. And yet, is there a practical way in which you can pray for friends, family, community? Well, my next guest says, absolutely, yes. Simply learn to pray A to Z, a practical guide to pray for your community. Amelia Rhodes joins us. And Amelia, what a brilliant book. Uh, When I first saw this come across my desk, I thought, oh, another book on how to pray. Well, there's plenty of those out there. But then I started thumbing through and went, oh, wait a minute. This is a whole new idea. Thank you. Yeah, that um, that's kind of how I felt. We don't need another book on how to pray. We need something that will actually help us to pray, because I'm, much like you described, that has been my struggle, too, saying I would pray for people, and then weeks later realizing, wow, I only prayed once, maybe twice, and just feeling this conviction that I needed to follow through and be faithful long term. And, and as we talk about uh, lending the sense of, of organization, I, I know some people might shudder a little bit and think, oh, my goodness, I have to get an Excel, Excel spreadsheet going now. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. i got to go buy a laptop so I have it Ooh. handy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I know that I need simple things that help me, and that's how Pray A to Z started for me was just out of my own prayer life feeling very overwhelmed and convicted of, you know, running into people later and remembering, oh, I I said I was going to pray long term. And uh, so I just came up with this very simple way. And it started out, you know, note cards, three by five cards, and it grew into a book. I never would have dreamt I would write a book on prayer because I felt like I was the least qualified person to do that. As you've approached this, you're you're taking it very um, topical in a sense. And I guess it's true that people tend to, at least my life experiences, tend to fit in, you know, not, not, not neat, clean pigeonholes, but it tends to be, for example, there's a couple of people on my prayer list right now that are dealing with cancer. Mm-hmm. So they're in the cancer category. Mm-hmm. And then it seems perennially there is somebody that I know that's got a son or a daughter or a grandson or a grandchild that's kind of wandered away from the Lord and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, maybe they've had a run-in with the law and things of that sort. So it seems as if um, the older we get, the health concerns, of course, tend to pile up. But it seems as if there are certain perennial categories that that tend to be kind of repetitive. The names may change, but the needs are kind of the same. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And that's how it started for me. It was after taking several phone calls and emails from friends all in one day big, heavy requests, adoptions that weren't going well, cancer diagnosis, um, a marriage that was falling apart. When I realized, you know, this is heavy and overwhelming, and I asked God to help me be more faithful in my prayer life, and that was what I, the conclusion I came to, that so many people are struggling with the same types of things. What if I were to pray by category and maybe take one or two per day? And so that's how A became adoptions, and B became bullying, and then we expanded doing several topics per letter. And I found it, um, I kept the topics broad enough so that, yes, under cancer, you will remember your friends, their family members, their caregivers, their hospital staff caring for them, really just very broadly covering all of those struggling with the various topics. And uh, let's see, 26 letters in the alphabet that kind of takes us through um, A to Z literally over the course of a month. 
Right, right. And I ended up starting with one topic per letter, and then I ended up expanding it to five. So there are 150 different prayers and topics in the book, and um, two for each letter are actually prayers of praise. Yeah, I noticed that. And and was it intentional that you included that in there? Because, you know, so often we think about, uh, you know, the Scripture talks about going and bringing to the Lord our prayers and supplications, and it tends to usually be a laundry list of Heavenly Father, I need, right. so-and-so needs, the other one needs, and it's, it's typically uh, all very one-way communication in that sense. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we could almost, uh, if, if, if heaven had an email address... <laughs> we would we would do that and just say, you know, dear God, here's my list. Uh, get right. back to me when it, when you've answered all those requests. Right. You're, you're you're suggesting a dynamic here that that really helps to not only give us a better sense of discipline about our prayer, but also helps to enrich our relationship with God. Absolutely, because as I prayed, you know, and I was we're looking at you know very heavy topics that we're all facing in our communities. We've mentioned cancer, but then like praying for the homeless and those who are serving them, um, zero prejudice, uh, our lawmakers, all of those big things happening in our communities. It can be very heavy, and I found myself, even in prayer, just feeling just this darkness and feeling overwhelmed. But when I began to praise God and recognizing who it is that I'm talking to, it really lightens the load because we remember that every need we have is met in who He is. And it was very exciting as I wrote it. So, for example, like C was cancer and caregivers, and then praising God that he's the comforter. How very often, you know, these prayers of praise match up with the needs and recognizing, yes, we have these hard and heavy things, but remember, he's almighty, he's the comforter, he's our helper. There's also another dynamic to this that fascinates me, and I and I think it's one, you know, a, a, some people that kind of approach prayer casually uh, do it. They know they need to do it. They have a sense that it moves the hand of God, so they're obedient in that fashion. But there's lacking any sense of organization. It's easy to rack up the list of all the prayer needs mm-hmm. and then forget about the times and they are frequent when God answers prayer. And I'm wondering if in this fashion, in in giving a greater sense of organization to uh, how you pray and remembering to, to remember all the needs that are brought forward, is it also a tool in helping you keep track of, wow, when God answers prayer, let's make note of that too and right. also give thanks to the Lord in acknowledging the fact that here's another case where he's answered prayer. Absolutely. With with each topic, I started out with a scripture because I, I really believe in starting with God's Word. What does God say about this topic and this particular issue? And then in the prayer prompt, just a couple sentences, you know, remembering all of the people who are going through this. And then many times I prompted people, you know, think about the times where God has moved in your life in this area and give thanks for that. And then through the prayers, um, to not only think about the current situations, but situations in past, praising God for his faithfulness and how he has worked in these areas. And I think a lot of that helps to to not only give us a greater sense of discipline when it comes to our prayer, but, but also does a phenomenal job in strengthening our relationship and our faith. Right, and that is my hope through all of this. That, you know, often if we don't know where to go or we feel like we're just you know in a rut with the same things over and over, that it will it will expand our love for God and our love for our community, and that we will begin to experience this deepening relationship with Him as we begin to talk to Him intentionally and purposely, you know, every day. 
I <clears throat> funny. I was just looking at the calendar here and, and made note of the fact that it's December the fourteenth. Exactly a year ago today, I was flat on my back in a hospital being treated for cancer mm. and had suffered something called an ileus. I won't describe it. It's a blockage. Oh. Um, as, as I told my nurse, uh, it'll be about three hours from now, exactly a year ago, uh, you mm. need to either give me some pain medication or bring me a gun. Mm. Horrifically painful experience. Right. And as we're talking, and I'm thinking back exactly a calendar year later, at the repeated answers to prayer, including on the day of the most painful day of my hospitalization, exactly a year ago today, and I think how grateful I am to serve a God who not only hears prayer, but who answers prayer, Mm -hmm. and to be mindful and reminded of his faithfulness. And I think we do a good job in bringing those prayers and supplications to the Lord, I think, uh, quite often. But um, the discipline to keep track of all the times that he answers prayer in that miraculous fashion in which he is there with us. Sometimes we kind of give mental assent to that. But I think actually writing it down and saying, well, we prayed for Uncle Charlie starting on this date and X number of days, weeks, whatever later, here's the date when God answered the prayer. This can be a wonderful resource, too. The book is simply called Pray A to Z, A Practical Guide to Pray for Your Community. That's Pray A to Z, and uh, newly published by a Worthy Inspired. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, also through the uh, usual suspects like Amazon.com. It's a good read and uh, gives you some great tips. Our thanks to Amelia Rhodes, author of Pray A to Z, A Practical Guide to Pray for Your Community. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.